If you guys have been listening to me for some time, you know that I have a major passion for women's health in midlife and at menopause. And so today I wanted to tell y'all how I became a menopause doctor and why I think it is the most special type of bond that I can have with a patient and why I think it is such an amazing evolving field of medicine and for all of you listeners why I think there is so much empowerment to be had in midlife and at menopause. So we're going to get into all of that today. I'm super excited to share my journey with you guys and tell you some things maybe you didn't know about me before. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. It is so cool to see my podcast really grow. And so I wanted to give a shout out today as promised. Today, I wanted to shout out Shannon Roth, who writes awesome information, Dr. Hirsch. I shadowed you for a part of a day last spring when you were at Ohio State. And so I came from Ohio where I did my training. I was completing the Women's Health PT residency. I'm in Iowa and educating some of my patients on your podcast as a great resource. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon, so much. And I hope you're doing well out in Iowa. I just sincerely love educating people about midlife and menopause. And this podcast, my hope is that it's educating so many listeners who may be in the medical field, who may not be in the medical field. But I often say that menopause is an intersection of so many different types of medical care, certainly including physical therapy, as well as occupational therapy, as well as social work, as well as all the other allied health professions out there. There is so much intersection between midlife, women's health, and what many of us do for our jobs. I wanted to also let you guys know that my podcast is growing to the point where we are going to start to have sponsorships on my podcast. Now listen, I hope that's not a bummer. It's going to be really exciting and I'm going to be utilizing sponsorships and sponsors that I think have products that I believe in that I think you guys are going to really like and want to check out. So starting next week, we're going to have some sponsors on the podcast. So a big shout out and thank you to all those who are going to be sponsors on the show starting next week. If you guys don't already follow me over on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc where I usually let you guys weigh in on topics and certainly tell me what's on your mind and y'all give me amazing ideas for what to do for podcast episodes. So go ahead and follow me over there. You can also check out my website, heatherhirschmd.com for a ton more information. And I also launched a new YouTube channel and it's Health by Heather Hirsch where I get to take some of these topics and really talk about them for a lot longer than I would say like an Instagram post and you get to see me wave my hands around and my Italian personality really come out. So you can check me out over there on my YouTube. So today I want to get into why I became a menopause doctor and I actually recently did a whole YouTube video on this and I think this is such an important topic because I actually want to inspire those who may not be just menopause experts like myself and just want to focus on menopause 
But anyone who is in training, anyone who's considering going back and doing a second career, now you don't have to go to medical school. You can do so many things to advocate for women in midlife. Any of you entrepreneurs, there's just so much to learn and to love about women in midlife. So I'm going to take you guys all the way back to when I was a child. When I was a child, my grandfather was an OBGYN and I was so close with him. And really, he was just the most wonderful man you could ever imagine. One of those people who is always positive, like hummed to himself. You know, he was just such a wonderful guy. I remember in his office, his home office in his basement, he had one of those big jars of like M&Ms. And so, you know, as a kid, you thought that was just like the heaven of candy. And I would always flip through his desk and, you know, leaf through his papers. I probably couldn't even read at the time. And, you know, he, he really prided himself on delivering his babies, but as well as something that he called preventative medicine. And he always kind of touted to me that, you know, he was one of the first gynecologists to ask women about their heart health and their social life. And he kind of made it sound to me like that was not totally commonplace. In that day, you kind of delivered their babies and then off you went or you did surgery and off they went. And that really sort of stuck with me. And I used to play doctor in his basement office and make my sister break her leg like a million times. And it was really sort of where I got this idea that maybe I could be a doctor. And now that I am one, it seems so far away to think that that was once such a huge dream and took me so long to get here. And oftentimes when I do reflect on that, it is really nice to think wow, all that hard work and all those late night studying really did pay off because I did get to where I wanted to. But that whole journey aside, I think when I was young, I really took this interest in how my father really cared about people, talked with people, and he was just such a talker. He wanted to know everything about you. And I think that that really stuck with me because you'll see I've carried a lot of those personality traits into not only my adult life, but definitely how I practice medicine. So eventually I got there. And I got to medical school and I always wanted to take care of women, always from the get-go. And when I was in college, I was a women's studies major as well. So I definitely was always thinking about how women's health is different than men, how women have been studied differently than men or not studied actually. So it seemed a perfect fit to go into OBGYN, right? Because in OBGYN, you take care of women. So I was so excited. I started my OBGYN career in Cleveland, Ohio, and I... I was just ready to kind of jump right in. But my first year, what's called your intern year, was very tumultuous to say the least. And without getting too deep, I was certainly really bullied when I was an intern. And I don't really know why I think that some of the things were because I was peppy and I asked a lot of questions. And there's a little bit of this, I'm sure you've seen some of the TV shows about like doctors and training. What is it, Grey's Anatomy? And there is a lot of this shaming of people, and that's kind of how you learn. You get shamed. And I remember one time being yelled at by my senior resident in the nurse's station with all these nurses sort of sitting around, like, wide-eyed. And it was, you know, quite, quite distressing. And, you know, I actually also had a male attending tell me that when I presented patients to him, my voice was too high-pitched. And so I can't even make this stuff up. Now, was I perfect? Absolutely not. I did definitely make a lot of mistakes. But, you you're an intern, you just graduated medical school, and you're really there to learn. So unfortunately, it was just kind of a tumultuous year. But I also really and truly realized that I really enjoyed 
the aspect the most of sitting and talking to my patients for a prolonged period of time. Something that is really hard to do when you're running off to deliver a baby via C-section or you're in the middle of a gynecologic rotation where you're doing a lot more surgery and most of your patients are asleep. So actually at the end of the day, it turned out that I was really definitely made to be an internist. So what did I do? Well, I stayed at my institution. I was lucky enough to be able to essentially just jump from my OBGYN residency into an internal medicine residency. And I had to do all intern here again and all three years of internal medicine. And it was great because there was so much that I needed to learn about chronic diseases, about how our social life impacts our medical health, about how our family history impacts our medical health, about how different medications can be used or shouldn't be used long-term, about teratogenic medications, medications that can harm women if they take them during pregnancy. And I just loved my internal medicine residency. But I always had this gleam, this gem of wanting to take care of women. And I was particularly good at it. And I was just kind of made that way, right? I told you how my grandfather was an OBGYN, so maybe it was genetic. But during my internal medicine residency, so many of my colleagues who were residents at the time would come up to me to ask me women's health questions. And I often then found myself teaching about women's health because I was sort of seen as the expert. They knew I had been an OBGYN resident. It was really fun to see myself start to teach something I never thought that I really wanted to do. I kind of wanted to exist in this bubble and just kind of do what I did and maybe not be challenged. I'm not sure. So I really started enjoying teaching. One night I was on call. It was really late. It was probably like 2 a.m. And I started to think about fellowships. So for those of you who don't know, fellowship is when you complete your residency and then you go on to study something in, in, in a niche, right? So cardiology is a fellowship. Fellowship. So you do an internal medicine residency and then you study cardiology in the heart for just several years, just that, so that when you come out, you just really do focus on cardiology. And I was thinking about doing oncology because I really was thinking that I would be a great breast cancer oncologist. It was just a great way to meld my women's health passion, taking care of women and being a doctor. So I jumped into this amazing rotation in breast oncology and I was following my doctor uh, around to see her patients. And when she would step out of the room, I would also ask them about how are they sleeping and how is their sexual function? Were they having any dryness and how was their mood? Were they having any new onset of anxiety and just what was going on with their family and all of these things that I really really realized I cared so deeply about a woman as a whole picture. It was really hard for me to see her just as her breast tissue. As interesting as oncology was, as important as it is, as much as I found the trials and the science really interesting, I could not believe how much I really loved seeing the whole picture of a woman. So I decided to find a different fellowship. And then what I did is I did a women's health fellowship, a two-year women's health fellowship right next door at the Cleveland Clinic. And my two podcasts ago, I did an episode with Dr. Holly Thacker, who is the program director of the Women's Health Fellowship at Cleveland Clinic. We did a whole podcast together talking about how so much of women's health that's specialized really does require experience and training that you really can only get during a deep dive into women's health in a fellowship training. So I certainly recommend listening to that podcast. And I was just so lucky to have been accepted. And so I 
get to that point in my life. And I start my fellowship training and I come in and I'm so interested in women's health. I've been doing my oncology rotations and I've been doing a lot of teaching on reproductive care and long acting contraception and encouraging internal medicine physicians in residence and training to understand how important contraception is in all different types of specialties, pulmonology, cardiology, GI, women with chronic diseases. So I came in really interested in how can I teach reproductive health care to internists who are so busy and learning so many different things during their residency training. But most of my rotations were with Dr. Thacker in the beginning where she ran the menopause clinic. And so I really took a deep dive into midlife care and I was blown away. Let me paint a picture for you. She's got this beautiful clinic and two or three exam rooms and women came from all across the country. It was just not at all new to see someone come from New York, to see someone come from Texas, to see someone come from Florida, to see someone come from California, to meet with Dr. Thacker, to ask some questions about what was going on with them, what was their diagnosis, to ask questions about what types of hormone therapy they were put on, was this safe, was this the right dose, was this optimal, what do they do with the side effects that they're having, was it FDA approved? And I was just learning things at a rapid pace that were just completely different from what I learned when I was in medical school or when I was in internal medicine residency. So you know I do a lot of myth busting about certainly menopause, but definitely hormone therapy. And most medical students, I still actually often pull my medical students when I'm teaching them, but most of the time we still learn in medical school that hormone therapy is dangerous, that it should be used as last resort. And these are deep rooted issues that I I found so fascinating when I learned about the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy, certainly compared to other medications I learned how to use when I was in residency, anti-seizure medications, insulin, aspirin, antibiotics, all things that had serious long-term complications just were seen as you know, more commonplace to be used in hormone therapy, which was certainly beneficial, necessary, and really overall quite safe, especially when you looked and you studied the hormone therapy data like I did when I was in my fellowship training. I just could not shake the fact that this area of women's health was just completely untapped, that women were just sort of left to their own devices to learn on their own, and that the physicians taking care of them in all these various states and counties just like me as much as they loved their patients as much as they thought they loved women's health if they if they did still were not given the right education and the right tools to understand midlife and menopause the way that I did the way that I learned during my fellowship training so I just really realized that I just was obsessed with educating women, other physicians, my students, my residents, the physical therapists, just like Shannon, about midlife women's health and how it is so important because you're going through most of your life and then once you start to get into your 40s and 50s, at the time you start to lose your estrogen or your sex hormones change is when chronic diseases develop. And so how someone takes care of you in your midlife, I could almost argue really is going to be the setup for how you are going to feel and be in your 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond. It's how you're going to be a grandparent. It's how you're going to live when you're retired and you don't have to work anymore. It's how that partnership that you have or that marriage 
marriage that you have is going to thrive and exist after you are done with all of the things that you have to do to get to that point. And not only that, but as a women's studies major in undergrad, I also really could not deny the social implications and the cultural implications of midlife and menopause that are inflicted upon women. And I talk about this all the time, you know, including the unrealistic expectations of beauty, unrealistic expectations about aging, certainly the unrealistic expectations about our sexual health and how we're supposed to or not supposed to be sexual in midlife and at menopause. And there's certainly no right answer, but society certainly tells us how they think that we should be. And yes, it's definitely like that when we're in our teens and our twenties and our thirties, we're certainly supposed to be youthful and we're supposed to be sexual and all of those things that women are supposed to be. But it really, really comes to a head in our midlife and menopause because beauty is not seen as, as something that can translate into our later life and only are we starting to untap that when we're starting to look at people who talk about healthy aging and and loving yourself at all ages and it's exciting and it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of a woman's life as she transitions through that time as she learns how to take control of her life as she realizes the beauty in all of these things and certainly as I get to sit and help them individualize their medical journey if they are going to take medical treatment. Now, again, I always, always tout that there is no right or wrong answer. You certainly don't have to use hormone therapy. Certainly people don't need hormone therapy and they do fine during their menopause without their symptoms. But again, yes, a large part of what I do, as I mentioned, which I learned during my fellowship training is really talking about the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy, certainly because so many of the myths and misconceptions about men, women's health in midlife and menopause surround this controversy of hormone therapy use. Now, I recorded a whole podcast on the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy, and I will link it at the bottom of this episode. But interestingly, actually behind the scenes, that was the first ever episode I ever recorded for this podcast. So the inception of this podcast is kind of a cute story. It was an idea that was brewing of mine for some time because during my fellowship, I just could not believe that women weren't given this information. I had now years of putting together a story from my women's health undergraduate major all the way to my OBGYN year with my internal medicine residency and then this fellowship training, this culmination of this specialized women's health that I just couldn't believe that women weren't given this opportunity to understand because you are all so smart. You're so intelligent. You're so motivated. And so what happens is women start to do their own research, right? Certainly because they know they can figure this out themselves. But what the barrier is, is what information you can get from the internet, what information you can get from books. And certainly you can read anything you want. You can go from the spectrum of doing natural to the, we can talk about the dangers of bioidentical hormone therapy, which I did a whole podcast on all the way up to, you know, books like estrogen matters. And certainly it, you can get a varied self-education but it is something that I think it's really helpful to be guided a with guided through by a physician. So I decided to 
just opened my own Instagram account and I started Instagramming a little bit. And, you know, I remember when I first started my Instagram, I had like 10 followers. It was literally like the night of, and me and my husband were at dinner and I was like, look, I have 10 followers. And I just thought like the floodgates would open and everyone would be so interested in this. And, you know, it was interesting because it just wasn't enough. And so then I thought maybe I need to do a blog. And I realized I really don't love sitting and writing and typing. And so I thought, no, I'll just talk. I'll do a podcast. And my good friend, Lindsay Miller, encouraged me to do a podcast. And we did a whole podcast episode together about my menopause, my medical journey, sorry, my medical journey. And that's a really fun episode. These are certainly some of my earlier episodes. And they're still great gems, though, by the way. And then I realized, gee, you know, is my podcast enough? And you can see I keep building. I really have this deep desire to help educate you. I did start something called the Menopause Course, a complete guide to menopause. And I'm thinking about maybe relaunching that and opening that back up. If people are interested in doing that, my first cohort really seemed to love the menopause course. It was almost like having a six hour conversation with me, hopefully answering almost any question that you had about menopause, how to treat it, sleep, hair loss, weight gain, everything you ever wanted to know. Really, that's why I named it that. And the first cohort, I thank you guys if you're listening in because they gave me some suggestions on how I can improve it. And so that's always another option. I just always want to think about how I can educate patients and reach women with evidence-based quality uh, information. So then I recently started my my YouTube, which is Health by Heather Hirsch, and I mentioned that at the beginning. But I am just constantly searching for ways to help educate women in a well-rounded way that is evidence-based. Recently, I published in the Journal of General Internal Medicine a paper on facing clinician misconceptions of the use of hormone therapy in 2020, which I think is so important. And in this paper, I laid out three different reasons where I saw areas we could improve taking care of women and three of the main drivers of either misinformation or clinician undereducation. And I'm going to go through those quickly with you, but you can also check out my YouTube video on that as I get to a deep dive into it. But first, I think society is bombarded with information on menopause that is inconsistent, inaccurate, and harmful. And I think a lot of that has to do with a niche that formed to take care of women after the early 2000s when the dangers of hormone therapy were certainly over-exaggerated. Now, certainly every medication has a risk and benefit. But again, I talked about how many medications we use as internists or that you might be currently on that certainly carry just as many, if not more, risks than hormone therapy does. Second, clinicians have inadequate training or retraining in caring for women with menopausal symptoms. So not only do I do this podcast to educate you, but I also spend countless hours providing CME and doing talks and various other types of education for clinicians, which I certainly love doing. And then lastly, menopause is socially charged and it affects the way menopause is experienced at home, maybe by your family members or your partner, in the workplace, by your employer, and in the media and at the doctor's office. So there's a lot of things that drive me to want to make micro changes or macro changes in women's health, in midlife, and at menopause. And it certainly, certainly takes a village. So to have so many of my midlife advocates who are 
beauty influencers, who are midlife influencers, who are social workers, who are other physicians and clinicians and physical therapists and physicians assistants and nurse practitioners and nutritionists. It takes a village to all really send out a similar message of individualization and caring for women in midlife and menopause and certainly not being dismissive of the unique challenges that affect women at midlife. All right, so after fellowship, I then moved to the Ohio State where I had a wonderful experience and I was there for three years and I just met the most amazing women and just solidified how much I loved doing, especially consultative women's health, which is essentially what I do now. It means that I'm not necessarily your primary care physician, but I'm looking and taking a step back or actually a bird's eye view of your overall health and especially your midlife and menopause because of my unique training and thinking about your symptomatology, thinking about your bone health, thinking about your vaginal health, thinking about your brain health, thinking about your sexual health, thinking about all these things and really thinking about either adding if it's hormone therapy that you think that we we think that you need or if it's something else I really do this consultative approach and it's lovely I was also a primary care physician where I mostly took care of women in midlife and so a lot of what we did there was certainly talk about midlife and maybe hormone therapy or whatever it is that my patients individually felt that they needed or required but I just loved it and I thrived and I grew from there and I have so many wonderful listeners who are still in Columbus and I have a special place in my heart. A lot of my friends and my my first two children were born there and that was their home and I certainly loved being in Columbus. And then I had this wonderful opportunity to bring a menopause clinic to the Brigham and Women's Hospital here in Boston, Massachusetts, where I work and be a faculty at Harvard Medical School where I've just had such a unique opportunity to move to another new city and bring this information to women where certainly it is definitely necessary. I'm so happy to have just wonderful mentors and other people in the menopause world or in the internal medicine, gynecologic and women's health and sex and gender world who teach me so much, who have so much more experience in terms of research and trials. And I have so much that I hope I can accomplish here that I'm just so thankful for every single step along the way and every single patient I have ever seen because you have taught me so much and I am so thankful and honored and blessed to have been able to interact with and help and learn from so many patients and you not just patients my students if I have any students listening in I love being able to teach you guys always let me know what's new in the world of dyslipidemia and what's new in terms of insulin medications and things for my diabetics and it's just wonderful to get to learn from everyone and to teach as well I am just in this unique position where I'm just so excited you can obviously tell and I've got a lot of things I'd love to be able to accomplish in this next upcoming phase certainly growing my clinic if you are in Massachusetts you can certainly see me as a new patient we are doing telemedicine and I can either see you that way or you're welcome to come in to see me in the clinic. If you are outside of Massachusetts, I know it's really sort of frustrating and I'm working on how I can use telemedicine to see patients outside of my state since I have been 
thrown into telemedicine during the COVID pandemic, I have really been able to quickly adapt and learn how much I can do for my patients without actually seeing them and sitting in front of me. And now the challenge is how do we certainly get, you know, first insurance and different state licensures to be able to see the benefit in extending care outside of state lines. So a lot of it is has to do with some of those things that are certainly out of my control, insurance coverage, and being able to practice in a different state. Remember, if you are not in Massachusetts, you're always welcome to come to see me as a new patient in Massachusetts. And then after that, I can certainly do telemedicine from whatever state you're in. But we're also in this weird pandemic time. And I certainly know it can be obviously costly. And we want to put our health first and thinking about traveling. Certainly, I am definitely not the only menopause expert out there. There are many wonderful menopause experts many of whom are colleagues of mine. You're also welcome to reach out to me and see who I might know who's close in your area. I get questions like that all the time. I always direct my patients to the menopause.org website. So I am a member of NAMS and NAMS stands for the North American Menopause Society. And they're really the governing body of all things menopause here in the United States. And certainly I am a junior member at NAMS and there are senior leaders and so many wonderful people there who see patients, who do research, many of whom I have interviewed on my podcast, but certainly go to menopause.org and search under find a provider and you can type in your zip code and see if you find someone there. I certainly recommend making sure you do find a provider who uses FDA approved options, whether it be hormone therapy or whether it be other medications especially including other holistic medications, you certainly want to think about something that is FDA approved or has been studied in clinical studies to the best of its ability. So those are also options that you can think about. And I really encourage you to tell people about this podcast, spread the word, let people know if this has been helpful to you, if this is inspiring, if this is educational, if it's fun to be a part of this group, I really want you to feel free to let your friends know. You can always leave me a review on iTunes. I know it's a little bit of a pitch there, but it really helps because then other women see this podcast and stumble upon it who are just searching under the Google search bar of please help me in menopause, which I know many of you do. Kind of the same thing I do when I search like why does my kid have this rash? So I absolutely have been there. I am I I am a patient as well, but I really appreciate the support. I'm so excited if you haven't you can also sign up for my email list and you can get on that by going to heatherhirschmd.com and just signing up. I've got a free hormone health guide there and just a lot of really cool stuff. And really, I have been working with my institution to be able to do these things outside of my job. And I, I just, I love doing them. They bring me so much joy. And the reason I take time away from whether it be sleep or while my children are ones running around slamming doors, but I really do do this because I really find so much joy in getting little messages from you, whether it's on Instagram or it's Facebook or wherever 
saying how much something helped you or if you could be a patient or if we could work together. It is just such a joy and I can only do one patient at a time. So I really, really, really love it. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for listening. I've got some amazing episodes coming up. I'm going to continue the Black Lives Matter next week with Dr. Zori. We're going to talk about minorities and infertility. So that's really exciting. My amazing friend and psychologist, Dr. Natalie Dottillo is going to be back on. We're going to go over some resiliency things. I'm so excited. And there's just amazing topics and people coming on the show. I'm so excited about Look, And I can certainly run a poll over on my Instagram. It's at hormone.health.doc. If people want to have me relaunch or do another cohort for the menopause course. So check me out over there. Thank you guys as always for listening in for your support for your excitement it's awesome and now I gotta go and change my toddler's clothes I think she's been in our outfit for maybe 36 hours don't judge so have a wonderful rest of your day or evening thank you so much for letting me give you this personal story and I'll see you guys next week bye bye